0: Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make Him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at at infotheplantchurch.org. Good morning. Some of you are alive. Good morning. Guess what we're talking about today? You guys are brilliant. You guys are so smart. We're talking about peace. Uh, uh, if, you, if you haven't already, uh, opened up your Bible to the book of Psalms. We've been in the Psalms of Ascent, uh, and we're going to open up to Psalm chapter 122. Psalm 122. Um, we're going to continue our series this morning that we're going through the month of August through Labor Day weekend uh, called Ascent. Journey to the new normal. And remember, we, we talked about how uh, we've, we've been in this weird place the last 18 months, and, and, and we're headed into this new normal. What does life look like? And we're, we're looking at how things have been uh, uprooted and shaken up and all the chaos and confusion, what, what scholars who study the Psalms call disorientation. Any of you felt disoriented the last 18 months? And, and, and so what does it mean to journey out of that? And what these psalms that we're looking at here, the Psalms of Ascent are, are psalms uh, that are for pilgrims journeying to Jerusalem. It's pilgrimage uh, psalms. And so these psalms are all about taking us from where we were to where God is inviting us to be. And so that's, that's what we're doing during these uh, next few weeks. And we're going to look at Psalm 122 today today. Uh, But before we we dive into more of this idea of peace and shalom, I I find those videos so helpful. Did you guys find that helpful? Did you learn something about biblical peace? There's a whole bunch more if you're interested where those came from. Um, But before we we get into talking of that, I I just want to put a a word image in your mind or kind of a picture in your mind. How many of you enjoyed uh, building with Legos as a kid or maybe you still build with Legos? I don't know. Any Lego fans? No one played with Legos? Okay, okay. All right. I was getting worried. I was getting worried. I was like, you were all sheltered uh, if you didn't have Legos. Uh, Or or how how many of you remember when you built a Lego set? This was like my family's uh, thing every Thanksgiving, or Thanksgiving, every Christmas. Uh, We would get like some big new Lego set. That was like the big gift, right? And and then we would spend the rest of the day building it, putting it together, doing that whole thing. Uh, How many of you remember this? Uh, And and we'd get it done. And I remember uh, on a couple of occasions in particular, I would put this Lego set together, and I would get to a certain point and it would be like, now you're going to connect this part that you built to this part over here. And it's going to connect on this little hinge that's like buried like way beneath all these bricks that you already stuck together. And you go, I don't have that piece. Wait, where, how am I, where, where's that piece come from? I didn't see that piece. And you realize you missed a page in the instruction somewhere, right? And you skipped over something. Anyone ever done that before? And you're like, I got to tear the whole thing apart and go back to where I was because there was something missing in, in this structure, in this Lego structure. Or how many of you may be the modern day version of building with Legos as you put together Ikea furniture? Anyone put together Ikea furniture re- recently? I feel like every time I move, I put together a new piece of Ikea furniture. Um, and, and I have to get resaved and sanctified after because sometimes the language is very colorful. You, you all have trouble with, with Ikea furniture. It's just like one of those things where it's just assumed it's going to be easy and, and, and a lot of people have a hard time with it. But you're putting together IKEA furniture and the same thing happens. You put this great uh, new couch together or a table or a bookshelf and you get to the end and you're like, now you're going to take uh, the piece that you put on in step two and you're going to connect it here. And you're like, wait, I, I didn't, I missed that. Where's that piece? I'm like, and then sometimes you're like, will it stand without that if I just leave it out? You think it'll work? Now, IKEA is like sending uh, email. I had to sign something when I bought a dresser a few months ago, actually, that I signing, agreeing that I would bolt it to the wall so that it, because of the, the uh, chance of children like pulling and climbing on it and it falling on them. Then I got an email like four months after I bought it saying, Did you do it? You agreed and said you would. I'd never seen that, so some things must have happened. But that happens a lot with IKEA furniture, too. We're like, Oop, something's missing. Can it work without this? Maybe not. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. And, and that is actually a good picture of what we're talking about when we talk about peace in the Bible. Uh, real biblical peace is, is all of the parts to your Lego set get put together properly. There's nothing out of order. All, all of your uh, pieces to your Ikea furniture are in place. It's not wobbly. It's as it should be. Uh, if you remember last week when we started this series We talked uh, uh, about Psalm 120 being this this, uh, psalm of moving from a place of disharmony to harmony. And and harmony is actually another good word you can use to describe uh, peace in the Bible, the sense of shalom uh, like they used in that video, a sense of togetherness, of completeness, of perfection. And uh, it, it's so much more, as you saw in that video, than the absence of, of violence or stress or anxiety. It, it's a sense of a presence of something or, or of someone. It, it's the presence of, of wholeness, of, of Jesus, as ultimately we, we see in the, in the story of the Bible. And, and I think that's really uh, similar to uh, what happens when you're putting together uh, a piece of furniture from IKEA. When it goes well, you're like, everything is right, everything is complete, this is good. Uh, biblical peace is obviously more about th- than just about uh, your own self feeling good, as we saw. Uh, biblical peace is about uh, everyone around you being uh, connected well and complete. There- there's issues of. Uh, harmony with other people and relationships going well and relationships with God being okay, Uh, and, and when things are not at peace, one of those things is disrupted in some way. In some ways, it's disrupted in ways we might not even notice until we get to a certain point. And I'd like to suggest maybe that uh, some things that have happened in the last 18 months have sort of been like we got to that point in building the Lego set or the IKEA catalog, and and, and some things that I feel like they've been revealed in a new way to us. Um, I, I think some people are uh, are have reached a new uh, threshold of just, I can't take it anymore with the political divisiveness. I, I think people have been made aware of uh, the racial injustice that's happened in our country for too long. But there are other issues. I'll share a little about some of that today. Um, but but I think in the last 18 months, maybe we've kind of gotten to a point in building that Lego set where we go, I think we have some pieces missing. Do Do we need to like start back we need to pull some of this apart and like put it back together and build it back up and, and so what i think jesus is inviting us into is we're on this journey together is that we find peace for the journey we're, we're on this journey into this new thing that uh, jesus is calling us as a church uh, i shared last week that so since west milford our west milford campus here has only uh it, it, we had like three weeks before the pandemic started when we launched how crazy is that that's the way to plant a church uh, three weeks before the pandemic started. So as we're getting ready to relaunch um, this community uh, in September, uh, we, we really need to say, what's God calling us to uh, as a people? What, what's ahead of us on this journey? And, and what has happened in our souls? What's happened in us that needs to be maybe uh, get a tune-up? Or maybe there's some bricks from this Lego set or this IKEA uh, furniture that need to just get tweaked or maybe we're missing altogether. And I think when we talk about peace, that's a good good way to, to talk about it. And God wants to give us peace for the journey ahead, what we're heading into as a church family. So I want to unpack that with you a bit today. Uh, and, and what I really want to bring to your attention is essentially what that video came to its conclusion is, ultimately, our peace is found in Jesus. Now, that's a really simplistic answer. You can... You know, go like that and say, hey, you can all go home now. Peace is found in Jesus. Come back next week. But that really isn't very helpful, is it? How do we find peace in Jesus? How, it, you know, when I, when I, I got to go back and I got to find that page in the, in the Lego instructions to find where, where did my peace get messed up here? Where, where did this completeness fall apart? And so, uh, I want to suggest from Psalm 122, uh, there's three ways in, in where, in three areas we find peace in Jesus uh, from Psalm 122. So, what we're going to do is, I, I want to read Psalm 122 to you, and, and then we're going to just go through it uh, bit by bit. Are you all with me? Two of you, praise God. <laughs> let's go. Psalm 122, let's... Let's read this together. Actually, you know what? I'm, an, I'm just going to call an audible right now. Let's, let's just read through this as we, as we go. We're going we're to go through each of these, these ways that we find peace uh, in, in Jesus. And we're just going to read along as we go, that way I can kind of keep you tracking with me. So Psalm 122, this is a psalm where, where you arrive at Jerusalem. This is for the pilgrims. This would be like the, the party song, like, "We're here. We made it. Now what? And a lot of times I think our Christian journey is a little bit like that. Okay, I'm following Jesus. Now what? Jesus is peace. What does that mean? Well, first thing I want to talk to you about is is from these first five uh, verses here in Psalm 122. So let's just read this together. Verse 1 through 5. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And now here we are, standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. By the way, there's shalom language in there. You hear that completeness? All the tribes of Israel, the the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord as the law requires of Israel. We're going to stop right there. So this is is the first thing that happens when when we find peace, and and the first way we need to find peace. Uh, Peace is found... First and foremost, if I can get there. Hey, my, my slides are all over the place. Let's back that up. Peace is found in the worship of Jesus. Peace is found in the worship of Jesus. Not just I'm following Jesus, but, but peace is found when we, we enter into worshiping Jesus. So verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. What happens when you get to the house of the Lord, when you get to the temple? You worship. You're, you get to be with God. You get to be close to him. Your attention gets to be fixed upon him. Uh, worship is, is, is not uh, just some random thing we do once in a while. It's this good thing that we get to enter all the time. Uh, something Eugene Peterson uh, says in one of his books. He, he says that uh, worship is not an exception to which we aspire. It's an instance of the average. What does that mean? It means that worship isn't just this thing I go do once in a while when I feel anxious or I feel stressed or I, I need that hit of, of the presence of Jesus. So the, the presence of God, worship is something we, we live in, we do regularly. Uh, there, there's a sense in, in our, our modern church culture where worship is... Uh, this like flashy, exciting thing. And sometimes it can be really exciting and we can can really be experiencing God's presence. But something that's really important to remember is that uh, worship is something so normal. It's something so normal that we just enter into an experience. Uh, and, and, and the more we do it, this is the whole point of it, and why it's critical for our following of Jesus uh, Christian worship, it gets the attention off of us. It gets the attention off of our problems, it gets the attention off of the, the things happening around us, and it gets our attention on to Jesus. Worship is all about where you're giving your attention. Some of us like to give our attention to our favorite hobby. We give our attention uh, to uh, our, our work. We give our attention to many good things. Sometimes, honestly, we can overly give our attention to family and worship family. Believe, oh, he didn't say that. You can worship it. Yeah, you can. You can worship your family above and, and over God and make excuses for not following God because, well, my family, I got to do this or that. But, but Jesus is calling all of us into this place where we give our attention to him over these things that are distracting us. And, and I really think this is a lost art in the church today, mainly because we're not really good at uh, keeping our attention fixed on one thing. We're really distracted. We live in a, a scrolling culture as we scroll through our phones, uh, texting culture, quick, as fast responses. I, I saw someone the other day uh, t- talking about how people complain about slow Wi-Fi and, and the guy's comment was, it's going to space, give it a minute. And I thought that was so good, such a good perspective. Like, we need to be able to slow down enough to give our attention to Jesus for long enough for him to change our perspective. I'll say it one more time. We need to slow down for long enough to give our attention to Jesus for long enough to change our perspective. A.W. Tozer is a a, a pastor in, in our movement, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. He calls worship the missing jewel, in the crown of the church. And he wrote this in the 50s, by the way. He he said, I'm gonna butcher the quote, but he said in that time, uh, man, the church is just too distracted by all its technology and and all of its advances. And I was like, oh my goodness, he's rolling over in his grave right now, if he only knew. Uh, He wrote that in the 50s, and he said, worship is the missing jewel in the crown of the church. Just to be captivated by Jesus above all of the other stuff happening around us. So we can be like the psalmist and say, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Okay, so far maybe you're like, this sounds like a very churchy church, church reason for, for worship. How, how does this affect my life? Let's take this a little further. Not only uh, is the psalmist here pointing out worship, but, but I want you to notice something. In verse 4, all the tribes of Israel... The Lord's people make their pilgrimage here. They come collectively to give thanks to the name of the Lord as the law requires. Not only is, is worship something that gets your attention off of yourself, worship is about unifying God's people. It doesn't only get our attention off of ourselves, it also gets our attention off of the division and, and the fighting and the bickering that often happens wants to take center stage. We have a long way to go with this in the church, and this is why worship is so important, just to make it really practical. Do you know 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings is still called the most segregated hour in America? goes back to a, a whole history of, of how uh, different people of different skin colors were treated in churches and, and, and a whole history of how different denominations formed out of that because of how uh, particularly the black community was treated in, in churches. We, we don't even just have to talk about race. We can talk about political division in the church, right? I, I, I spoke with someone recently uh, in a pastoral conversation, who, who was amazed that someone in their life group had different political perspectives than they did. They didn't think it was possible. And I, I'm not saying that to make fun of them or criticize or anything, but, but I think it's really easy for us to, to be very uh, focused on our own views and our own way of doing things. And we just assume everyone else following Jesus must be just like me, have the same perspective, the same background. And, and, and when we, we do that with, with anything... We talk about race, we talk about politics, we talk about uh, so many other divisive uh, conversations and things that get in the way. Uh, we're, we're not really unifying with our worship. And, and sometimes we, we've had people who, you know, out of one side of their mouth have have praised Jesus and on the other side uh, of their mouth have, have made rulings in, in uh, one uh, church denominationally in the United States, decided, okay, we can baptize uh, black slaves, uh, but it's okay, you can still keep them as your property, for example. And this is uh, probably back in the colonial, colonial times that this happened. I, I just use that as an example to, to point out how easy it is to think we're worshiping God and have this huge gap in how we are unifying God's people at the same time. So even we are singing this song this morning that uh, Jess and Jersey were leading us in. And we're just singing, Jesus, Jesus you make the darkness tremble. And and I think uh, to let that really get at us, to really worship, means it's gonna impact some things uh, that we aren't maybe aware of. Maybe it's going to unify us in a way and open us up to unifying us with our brother and sisters in a way that maybe we didn't expect. One commentator says this about this passage, the requirement of praise at a common place brought the tribes together in a congregation in which all knew themselves as sisters and brothers and as neighbors. Brought together in a common place. All these tribes, geographically separated, different families. And they were being brought together, this vision of God's people coming together in one place. And it was worship that unified them. It was worship that brought them together from their various backgrounds, their various, uh, their various economic backgrounds. Uh, statuses, and, and we can look at them and say, well, they were all Jewish people, though. They were all Israelites. That's true. But now look what happens in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this. This is the peace coming in the form of Jesus. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles, two different uh, ethnic groups, different political backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Do you realize that the enemy works overtime to keep a dividing wall of hostility between you and everyone that thinks differently than you and looks differently than you? He's working overtime to make sure that your worship isn't pure and it remains divided instead of unified. But Paul says Jesus came. Christ himself brought peace Man, there's been a lot of crazy things that have happened in the last 18 months. For some of us, this has been—it's not like it's only been going on in the last 18 months. But for many of us, this has been a revealing and it's been eye-opening. And, and, and I think we come to these situations, and you know, I know many uh, young Christians, especially, that are now leaving the faith because they see what they see apparent hypocrisy. And, and I see people getting uh, full of bitterness and hatred uh, towards each other, and there's divisiveness and there's arguments. But here, Paul provides the way. For forward and just imagine this in this context of worship we're really gathering before jesus himself and he says christ himself has brought peace to us he's broken down the dividing wall of hostility he goes on the next verse he made peace between jews and gentiles by watch this creating in himself one new people from the two groups He'll say in other places there's neither male nor female nor Jew nor Gentile. He's not erasing uh, ethnicity. He's not erasing how much, uh, uh, what, what color your, your skin is. Uh, he, he's not erasing your ethnicity. He's not erasing your, your sex. He, he is saying that now you are primarily identified as one in Christ and one in Jesus. What's that mean for you? What's that mean for me? It's a lot of like heavy philosophical ideas. Here's what it means. We can have a semblance of peace. We can have a sense of not having anxiety or stress. We, we can have maybe an absence of conflict. But, but if we're honest, are we really unified? Honestly. Are you unified in your own household? You have Disagreements. Do you have division? Have you, have you been thinking about someone who has a different political persuasion as you, not with the face of a neighbor, but as a, an evil ideology that you need to fight against? That's generally what the kind of the news media wants to do. They just try to they make more money when they do that. Are you trying to see people as your neighbor? H- how much how much unity is there in your worship? How much unity is there in, in what you're doing? I'm not going to belabor the point anymore, but peace is found in the worship of Jesus because in the worship of Jesus is unity. There's a call to be together, to be one, to, to put aside uh, differences, to, to repent where, where we have put up walls, to be one in Christ. Because here's the thing, when, when you come face-to-face with Jesus in worship, this is my own experience, when you come face-to-face with Jesus, the real Jesus, not just it was a good time and the songs fell up, but I mean like when you meet Jesus in worship or you meet Jesus in prayer, especially when you're doing it with other people, man, you, you can't, it, it's so tangible. It is so tangible. You, you, you can't begin to describe The sense of just unity that you have with the people that you're praying with and worshiping with. I I have people that I've prayed with or spent time in worship with, never met them in my life, and after I'm like hugging like I've known them for years, and we're like crying tears because we met with Jesus, the one who brings us together and makes us one people. It's like you're meeting your long lost sibling that you've been separated from since birth. Isn't that amazing? There's a power that worship has, unifying worship has, and that's the the call that Jesus has. I go back to what A.W. Tozer said, worship is truly the missing jewel in the crown of the church. Because when we meet Jesus himself, when we meet Christ himself who has brought peace to us, as Paul said, these dividing walls begin to fall away. So that's why this is so practical for us as we move into this new season. If we're going to have peace for the journey, we, we need to know that peace is found in, in worship of Jesus. Not only that, but peace is found in, in the justice of Jesus. Let's look at verse five. The psalmist continues, "Here stand the thrones. Here stand the thrones where judgment is given. The thrones of the dynasty of David." The thrones of the dynasty of David. There's a couple things that are happening here. Whenever you're in the Psalms and there's a lot of poetry happening, you can brush over lines because you're like, I don't know what that means. And, and you just kind of keep going. You're like, okay, that's nice. So there's a couple things about this. Uh, the obvious things are uh, Jerusalem was the capital city, so there's a throne there for the king. That makes sense, right? Uh, but, it, but it's talking about so much more than that. It, it's the whole uh, institution of the monarchy and, and all of the... the ways and, and, and the structures that the Jewish people and the Israelites, ancient Israelites, used to bring justice to their whole land. Uh, this is also a sign and a symbol of David's throne. It's, it's mentioned as David's throne. It, so this is what Jesus' line is in. You know, Jesus is called the son of David. He's actually in David's family line. So Jesus ultimately is the one sitting on this throne of justice. Uh, one uh, One scholar put it this way about this passage. He said the thrones of judgment were the legal institutions, the seats of justice that had been established by the Davidic monarchy. The the prophets, they held that the city of Jerusalem was to be especially responsible for the provision of justice in Israel. This is the people of God especially responsible to dispense justice. And also, that he says this, pilgrimage season was likely a time when conflicts and disputes unsettled in the country courts would get, would get uh, finally resolved in Jerusalem. And then he finishes with this statement, the peace of the community depended on the establishment of justice. Pilgrimage is a journey in search of justice. The community depended. The peace of the community depended on the establishment of justice. That's so important. Not only do we need to be unified in worship, but uh, wrongs need to be righted. Wrongs need to be righted. Uh, when when we talk about justice and we talk about dealing with the past and things like that, often the the uh, the conversation or, or the pushback is, you know, that's in the past. Can't we just move forward? And you're right, but who would go say that to a therapist? Anyone ever been to therapy? My wife's a therapist. So, this, I, you know, knowing this, if she had someone come into her office and say, listen, whatever happened in my life, the things I've done, the things people have done to me, all I'm just going to leave. Can, we just, can you help me move forward? And my wife would be like, we're done here. Like, there's, I can't do anything. And, and a lot of times we want to kind of skip uh, our own history, personal history, uh, local church's history, the capital C church's history. And, and we want to kind of like pass on that and we just want to like move forward in good faith. But the reality is uh, justice and, and righting wrongs and forgiveness and reconciliation happens when we're willing to face uh, what's maybe kind of hard for us to face or ugly or the, or the past things that have been broken down. So not only do we need to come together uh, and be unified, but we, we need to be willing to right the wrongs that separated us from being unified in the first place. We, I can go on about uh, uh, the racism in the church, as mentioned before. We can talk about that another time. We could belabor the point about politics. But I want to talk to something really close to home, kind of let you in a little bit about what, uh, something we're going to be involved with as a church come September um, But And this is a different kind of justice issue altogether, but something I'm really excited about as a church is uh, we're going to, uh, for the next 10 months, starting in September, uh, start an initiative called the 5,000 Pound Project. And what's the 5,000 Pound Project? Uh, What we're going to do is we're continuing our partnership with the West Milford Presbyterian Church's Food Pantry. And and what we're going to be doing is... um, they they have about 500, they call it 500 transactions a month, whether that's individual people or families. And and so if you were to go to a dinner party or something, um, you you might uh, say plan on like, uh, if you were cooking for a dinner party, you might plan on like a pound of food per person attending. That's generally the rule of thumb that they tell you if you're going to host a dinner party. So I was thinking, they got 500 transactions a month. We were thinking, what if we provided one pound of food for every transaction they have in a month on average for the, whole, for the whole year, from September through June till, till next summer. That's 5,000 pounds. It's a lot of food. It's a lot of food. But starting, there's gonna be more details about that coming. But, but we're gonna to start to jump into this because there's a massive need in West Milford uh, Bonnie, who is one of the, the leaders of the food pantry at the Presbyterian Church, has told me, you know, she'll have, especially moms come to her and say, is there anything kind of on the down low you can help me with? My husband said, I can't, I'm not allowed to get food from here. Uh, what do I do? And here, here's a gift card. Go get a Carvel cake for your son's birthday. It was a birthday. I think I've shared that story once before. It was couldn't believe it, but but there there are folks who are in desperate need, and either uh, because of pride, maybe not willing to get food, or uh, you know, just for any number of reasons, are not getting food, or or even if they are getting food, there's a huge need. Tons of people have lost work in the last 18 months. Uh, people are uh, having a difficult time with sickness and illness and they're not feeling like they can go back out to work in the world. Uh, some of us are, are fortunate enough to have jobs that allow us to work remotely. Uh, not everyone has been able to work remotely and, and it's caused a huge uh, problem. And, and so there's a bit of, we can talk about an injustice in this way. There's something in our, that's missing, right? If, if we were to put the, the wall of West Milford together, the Lego set of West, West Milford, there'd be pieces missing. There'd be people without food. There Are you guys with me? Okay, there'd be young, young children without food, there, there, there'd be a huge gap and a huge need, and, and so uh, we're, we want to help provide for their future, righting the wrongs that are happening right in our own local community, amen? That, that's part of justice too, it doesn't have to just be the, the issues you see come up on the news, Biblical justice, biblical justice isn't about, we're not interested in some cultural popular thing that's happening. We're talking about, well, what does scripture actually teach us? And part of what it teaches is to care for orphans and widows, care for the poor, care for those who are in need. Now, I want to add one more thing on to that because this is where this whole idea of the uh, systems and the institutions of justice are important, just like it says in the psalm. Uh, it's not just about you know, individual people needing food and us needing to help them get food. There's a whole bigger issue at play here because we could totally go out and we could buy the cheapest food possible to get as much of it as we can and get 5,000 pounds of food not for, for, for not a ton of money, right? How many of you in college were Top Ramen fans? I ate a lot of Top Ramen in college. It was not good for me. Um, no one's know, you guys don't know Top Ramen? Some people know Top Ramen? Oh, man. It's not good for my gut in, in college. Uh, but you could go out and you could buy a lot of top ramen, and we could, lo- it's pretty light. We'd take a lot of top ramen, but it's cheap. And we could do that, and we could get 5,000 pounds of top ramen and call it a day. But, but here's the thing we, we don't want to just get, and we'll talk more about this and what this looks like. We don't want to just get food to get food. We, we want to get food that's actually going to be good for the people that we're giving it to. People don't think about this as a justice issue, but, but think about this with me. You know, farm-to-table didn't used to be this fancy, bougie. I love farm-to-table. I'm, I'm, I'm a foodie, so I love that. But farm-to-table, you guys know farm-to-table? Eating? Like, they grow it in this fancy restaurant. They have their own little fancy garden, and like, these shallots are perfect. They come from France. It's so good. But they, they like, put it, and it's like they pull it out of the garden, wash it, and then it's right in your salad on the table. That's farm-to-table cooking. And it's a ton of money. It's so expensive. It's a huge industry. You know what farm-to-table used to be called? Peasants pulling things out of their garden and trying to boil it together a little bit. That's like how most people used to eat. And, and now what's happened is, is food, fresh food, good food, healthy food, food that gives you a long life and you're not going to have a ton of extra doctor bills, is harder to get. Something's wrong about that, isn't it? And this is where I talk about institutions and systems. This is not like you can go change one thing. There's a a whole cycle of things that are involved here. You don't have much money, so you need to go spend cheaper food. But then what's going to happen, the more you spend money on cheaper processed food, your kids are going to have more doctor bills or they're going to have more dentist bills. And then you're going to have to put out more money and you're going to have to get even cheaper food the next time. But here in Jerusalem, these are the thrones established for justice. These are the institutions, the the people of God that are going to put a plan in place to do things differently. To right the wrongs that we see happening in our society. So the 5,000 pound project is part of that. That's a tangible way we're going to do this as a church this year. And we're going to have some opportunities to do some food education. Because some of us might not know like, what good food is. I'm always learning. I think something's healthy. And then my wife goes, that's not really actually that good for you. And I go, I liked it too. <laughs> um, and, and listen, this isn't knocking anyone. Like, you can afford what you can a- afford. But, but to me, this, this right? Do this, you guys feel this is a problem? Something's not right about this. Uh, th- th- to be honest, I'll, I'll share openly, like, uh, some people uh, related to some other food pantries in town uh, felt a little, like, bothered. Why are we going to go to all that trouble? Why are we... We, you just get them, get them food. It's decent food. It'll be okay. What are we doing here? Are we not the people of God establishing the thrones of justice in the presence of God? We've got to come up with a new plan, a new way of doing things as the people. We've got to mobilize, right? Got to mo- yeah, thank you. Thank you. This is people's like, ability to eat food we're talking about here. This isn't like theoretical, you have, we have neighbors. How many of you actually like live in West Milford or Hewitt? A lot, handful, okay. Nearby, Warwick, Ringwood, surrounding area, yeah. Any of these communities, Be- because we live in one of these communities where it's like middle slash upper class or lower middle class a lot of times, people who have a real need and can't put food on the table and afford it are so ashamed to admit that they can't afford it. No one generally knows. It's, it's a secret hidden thing that happens in our communities. More suburban communities, it happens like that. Poverty's hidden. Maybe some of you are in need. I want you to know there's no shame in needing, needing something, needing help. This is what the people of God do. If your shalom is not right, we need to address it, yes? Jesus didn't just come to give you a nice peaceful sensation in your heart. He came that we could be at peace, be complete. He doesn't want anything missing from the structure Of your life. And and this leads me to one last thing I want to say about this, whether we're talking about uh, food issue disparities or we're talking about uh, other issues, uh, political issues, uh, racial issues, uh, issues involving whatever. You guys probably have 800 other things coming to mind. We could talk about uh, abortion, we could talk about economic issues, we could talk about all sorts of things. Here's something I want you to remember Jesus said, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers blessed are the peacemakers. He did not say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Just keep the peace, keep the status quo, don't rock the boat, don't offend anyone. I want you to, listen, hear me, I want you to make peace with people and make peace and be peacemakers in our community very graciously. As your pastor, I'm pleading with you, make peace graciously. But we cannot be silent. I want peacemakers. We need to be peacemakers here, not peacekeepers. So it means sometimes we're going to have to say, this is not right. This needs to be addressed. People of God, what are we going to do? Are the thrones of justice being established among your people? Are the plans, the structures, the systems that can combat these wrongs that we see in our own community going to be addressed? Church, are you ready for this? We're not messing around come September. Are you ready for this? Yes. I got two. That's all I need. Thank you, God. I'm, I'm serious. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to get you to interact because I'm just trying to be entertained and feel good about myself. I really want to know. Like, I want you to be in. I think Jesus is calling you to be in. I actually don't think it's a mistake you're here today. Because even if this isn't your community or you're not from right around here, I, I really think you're here today because Jesus is pointing out to you, you need to be in. Where are you establishing the thrones of justice, of Jesus' justice? Because where where his peace is found is where his justice is at work. You're getting fake peace if his justice isn't at work. A lot of people want to hide stuff under the rug. Throw it. Don't talk about that. That's too messy. That's going to cause too many issues for too many people. That's going to offend this group over there. They're not going to like it. It's, It's in the news too much. We don't want to sound like we're just going with what's happening in the news cycle. But let me tell you, if it's Jesus' justice, you will find peace. You will find shalom. You will find completeness. So we need that for the journey. Finally, peace is found in the blessing of Jesus. Peace is found in the blessing of Jesus. Let's read the, to the end of this psalm from verse six on. Pray for the peace, for peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city Prosper, O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. This is a, an interesting way to end the psalm. We don't think about this idea in our culture very much. We're we're not um, people who think about the idea of blessing very much, but there's two basic biblical ideas, and and these didn't stop being things that were important when the Bible stopped being written, by the way. They're things we do now, we just don't realize it. Uh, God calls his people to be a blessing people. Not just to be a blessing, there's action involved in this too, but literally to speak blessing to people. There's two different uh, uh, ideas in the Bible. There's blessing and there's cursing. Last week, if you were here, we talked about how we often weaponize our words. You remember that? That's cursing. When we say we want something to go bad for someone, usually we say it in a moment of anger and later we go, well, I was just angry. Yeah, well, you curse them. Maybe pray for their well being now, come in the opposite spirit. Can we learn to be a people who bless? This is, this is something foreign to us, but we have to understand we, we don't just live in this uh, tangible, material world. There is a spiritual reality that's at work. And, and when we pray blessing, God's saying, I want to honor that. When we bless our families, when we we bless our, our church, when we bless our co-workers, whether they deserve it or not, when we go out of our way to bless, these are prayers that we're giving to God, saying, God. You just make things go well for them. You cause them to prosper. I, I pray that they find real peace, real shalom. Got things that are going on with their health, man, will you bring them peace to that? I want to bless their health. And, and when we do that, basically, we're, it's a prayer, a blessing is a prayer. The, this just the things that go well. How many of you would love to just have someone pray for you like that? Just like, you know, there's not something maybe even specific going on. And someone's I just want to pray. I just want to bless you. Does it feel weird? You be honest if it feels weird. It's totally biblical, but it might feel weird. But how good would that be? Wow, thank you. Most of what we get is people just being critical of us, complaining about us. Those are curses. And, and, and the, the scale feels really tipped, doesn't it, towards the critical side. I, think about you if you're married with your spouse. It's real easy. We have two kids. We have a month old right now, a newborn. It's real easy for my wife and I to just let that scale tip towards the critical part because we think the other one is the reason why the baby's crying. <laughs> we had this conversation a couple days ago. But instead of bringing curses, pay attention to your language. How are you cursing people? You know, God doesn't answer that prayer that probably would love to. Don't curse people. And if you, you do, because you're angry, because we get angry sometimes, turn around and bless them. God, that was wrong of me. I just want to pray blessing for so-and-so. My coworker that took my parking spot again, I want to pray blessing for them right now. My spouse who I just don't understand sometimes, my kids, I want to pray blessing for them. You know, you bless what you actually love. A lot of you are really good at blessing your car, blessing your sports team. A lot of you are really good at blessing your house, your bank account. Some of you are really good at cursing your bank account too. How many of you bless West Milford or do you curse West Milford? How many of you blessed the town or the street that you live in? You know, they did it again, these people. Messed it up again. It sounds maybe disconnected, but this is where our prayer life has to come out, and we need to let our desires be changed and shifted. What do you really love? Because that's what you're going to bless. Do you love your family? Do you love your church? Do you love the church? do you love West Milford? Do you love Ringwood? Do you love Warwick? Do you love Hewitt? Are you blessing it? Guys, I I think the church has been too involved in, in cursing, to be completely honest, criticizing. We really haven't been very good at blessing, have we? Let's be honest. How cool would it be to just be known as the church in town. Oh, you guys like, you do this like blessing thing. You guys are always just like wanting to like pray that things go well for people. Like, why do you do that? People are going to get bothered. They're going to think you have an agenda. They're, they're going to, you know, that's how, that's how it is. But if we really love our town, if you really love your kids, if you love your family, if you love your church or the church or if you, if you love whatever, aren't you going to want to speak well of it? Aren't you going to want to see it go well? You know, Jesus actually uh, was a pilgrim to Jerusalem himself. In one of the Gospels, it talks about a time that he was just coming over a hill, and he saw Jerusalem there, and he and his disciples and everyone that was with him, and they were on their way to Jerusalem. And he actually takes a moment to pray for Jerusalem and bless it in that moment. He takes a moment. These are my people, he says. I need to bless you. These are his family, his extended family, his people. Do we do that? Do we, do we go, some of you love to go on hikes around here. Do you go out on a hike and, or do you drive through town and do you just take a moment to just bless West Milford? Bless your people. Pray for it to go well with them. Pray, pray that where there's division, that, that, that there would be Unity. You just take a moment to bless where there, where there is injustice, where there's food issues, where there's need. Do we just bless things to, to turn around? Do we bless the organizations in town that are trying to do their best to help the community? How are you speaking blessing? How are you praying blessing? And I love the, the last verse that we read. It's for the sake of... Of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. It's not about what's best for us. It's not about our agenda. Blessing's not based on what we want to see happen. It's based on others. May it go well for you. Totally disconnected from whether that's going to benefit me or not. May it go well for you and you and you. are you seeking what's best for for the community? And that that prayer, that kind of blessing, that kind of prayer, will lead you back to uh, justice and lead you back to unity in worship. Because when you begin to pray blessing and you want to see things go well, you can't help but put your feet and your hands to work in action with that. When you begin to pray like that, it changes your desires, man, let me tell you. When I have not wanted to do something, my first prayer is God help me to want to want this. I've prayed that prayer a lot in my life because there's a lot of times I'm like, I don't want this. I don't even care. Things are going pretty well for me and I need to change my heart attitude to say, may it go well for you. So this last verse is critical for us to remember. We're not just seeking our own benefit. We are here to seek the good God of our town, to seek the good of other people in our church, our neighbors on our street, people who think nothing like us, who look nothing like us, to get into their world with empathy and say, may it go well for you. And here is how I want to be a part of working justice, and and here's an opportunity for us to worship in unity and break down walls together. So where's the gap in your wall? You've got this Lego set or you've got this Ikea furniture? Which gap is your gap? Which, which page of the instruction manual did you get to and go, uh-oh, I'm missing that unifying worship. All right, there's where my peace is broken down. Or, or you know what, I, I'm missing this call to justice. That's, that's where my peace broke down. Or, you know what, man, I, I curse a lot more than I bless. I think that's where my peace broke down. Which one's Jesus pointing out to you? What's he calling you into today so you can have peace for this journey? Here's where Jesus ends. I t- told that story about Jesus on uh, pilgrimage. A team can come up. We're gonna close here in a minute. But I just wanna tell you this, this one more thing about this story with Jesus. I'm a pastor, so you know, there's always one more story. Um, when, when, uh, when Jesus blessed Jerusalem, do you know what he actually did after that, though? He started weeping, crying. You know what he said? He said, oh, Jerusalem, if only you knew the things that made for peace. You see, unfortunately, God's people in that instance didn't learn what makes for peace. They didn't learn what makes for peace. They, they didn't learn what it meant to find peace in unifying worship in Jesus. They didn't learn what it meant to establish God's justice. They, they didn't learn what it meant to bless instead of curse. And honestly, they paid a price for it. As have civilizations and generations all throughout human history. Now this isn't a gloom and doom message here. Jesus is on the throne. He's in charge. Quite honestly, this is a song of celebration. You wouldn't get that vibe maybe from the way we talked about it today but but I think it's because often we we live here and we don't actually really enjoy true peace do we? when we enjoy true peace man we're going to be like that psalmist going I was so glad when they said to me let's go worship because we know peace is there we know that that fractured wall is broken down let's stand together So I just want to pray for you before we go into worship Close your head close your head close your eyes bow your head one of those whichever one seems to be biologically accurate and, and if you like no one else is looking you can have your eyes closed your head bowed if, if you feel like okay one, one of these is my gap and I'm I, I, Jesus is specifically challenging me and calling me into this and I'm taking a step in it today if, if there's a, one of those that you've identified you don't have to say what it is, but if you just put your hand up and say, I'm on the journey. I'm going for it. Yeah, awesome. Oh, cool. Jesus is doing something really cool in you. And you know what? You can be totally honest as you begin to unpack this with the Lord and in community and even come talk with me, but, but with anyone here in our church family, you can be honest and be like, I have, I have been terrible with this. I, I don't even know where to start. That's okay. That's exactly the perfect answer to start with. Jesus is inviting you on a journey into his peace, and it's going to be really good. So Jesus, all of these that have raised their hands and everyone else, you're working their peace into their hearts. We thank you for that, Jesus. We just pray that you would do a new thing this week, this month, this year, and just captivate them with you, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, captivate with you as a source of peace, of wholeness, of completeness. We just surrender to you. We surrender to the work you want to do, Holy Spirit, right now.